Thank you for tuning in. There's a lot new and unknown by most of us about AI in general and about AI and AEC specifically. And I think we covered a lot of ground here in this episode with Dr. Mehdi Nurbash, founder and CEO of Yegatech and fellow AEC insider in the AI space. Along with several other episodes this season focusing on technology and new work methods already changing our industry, this is an important episode to listen to and begin to digest, no matter our size or market segment. The world is certainly changing fast and technology is playing a huge role. And if you and your team are not learning about, or at least curious about AI, you may soon be at a disadvantage or worse, left behind. A couple of my big takeaways from my conversations digging into AI with Mehdi and in reading his book. Number one, AI is a tool to help us solve some of the biggest and increasingly complex challenges we are facing socially, environmentally, and business-wise, and doing so at scale, faster, better, and cheaper. And on the business side, this means both solving current business or operational problems, as well as advancing market-facing opportunities previously or presently thought impossible that can also truly differentiate us in the workplace, marketplace, and recruiting space. And number two, AI exploration and investment is an executive leadership function, not something tied to BIM or CAD or buried within our organization as determining our best moves requires heavy doses of critical and strategic thinking and well-designed action. So without any further delay, let's get into both the strategy and the now of AI and AEC. Welcome to AEC Leadership Today, the podcast designed exclusively for engineering, architecture, and construction industry leaders who want to stay relevant and effective. The show takes on the most pressing issues facing the AEC industry and was created to help you and your firm grow and prosper in the 21st century. The host of AEC Leadership Today is Pete Atherton, a professional engineer and former AEC principal and owner turned AEC coach and consultant. And now, take a break from your never-ending to-do list and welcome Peter Atherton. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another great episode of AEC Leadership Today. Today, we'll be speaking with Dr. Mehdi Nurbash founder and CEO of Yegatech, and we'll be talking about artificial intelligence, AI, and AEC. Welcome to the podcast, Mehdi. Great for having me here. Thank you. Great. Well, I, I'm excited to dive into this topic. I appreciate you sending me um, your book. I really enjoyed it. It, it opened my eyes, um, in many ways put me at ease, and also gave me a way um, to really think about and approach AI and, and got me excited. Um, and it, it also dispelled a number of myths that I had. And I'm excited to dive into this with you. But before we do that, can you share a bit about you, your career in AEC, how you got involved with AI and what you do at Yegatech? Sure. Um, so I started as a civil engineer and uh, doing some structural engineering work. Um, as a structural engineer, 
I automated most of the tasks that um, I used to do. And therefore I got bored with the, with the office work. And I asked our CEO back then that, can I build what I designed? And um, back then I didn't care too much about how uh, we need to build things because I was the designer. And uh, later when I moved to the construction side, I realized how important to consider all the constructability and, and things that uh, goes into construction site. Um, firsthand, I noticed some of the challenges that exist in the industry, um, especially the shortage of, shortage of labor, uh, the, the quality of, of design and, and many other things. And um, at that point, I had a hunch that the technology is a way to, to move forward. And I started uh, getting formal education in uh, doing higher education in construction management and learn more about the science of construction. I work as a researcher uh, for a couple of years, and then I moved to Georgia Tech to do my PhD in design computing and bringing all I learned from construction this time into back into the design. And this was a time I learned about AI and how artificial intelligence can help the design and construction com community to, to do better. And uh, later I, uh, you know, I started my career as a research scientist um, in artificial intelligence, in manufacturing and AC industries, had my own team and built a number of AI solutions. And some of them are being used today in the industry. And uh, now I started my own company, uh, Yegatech, which is a, an AI consultancy company helping architecture, engineering, and construction uh, companies and owners to design and build AI solutions that gives them at least 10 times returns on their investments. Well, thank you. Thank you for that. And that provides a lot of context for what we're going to be talking about because you're someone very familiar with the industry. How um, can we begin by defining AI and um, I mean, more specifically, like how, how, based on your experience, based on what you're doing in the industry, how, how would you define artificial intelligence? And maybe at the same time, what are some of the ways that you see that it's misunderstood by us in the industry and maybe by society overall? Uh, yeah. So um, AI, in a, the short answer is AI is a branch of science in which scientists try to mimic humans' capabilities. Um, they try to mimic how we see things, how we hear about things, how we act, how we solve problems. And if I want to use a simple metaphor, I would say AI is like a tree, a tree that has root in science, like philosophy, computation, biology, evolution, uh, cognition and has uh, has branches and these branches are subfields of AI like computer vision, natural language processing, um, search and optimization, robotics, knowledge representation and reasoning and the most famous one is machine learning. So often people think that AI and machine learnings are the same but actually they are different. Um, AI is a is a field, is a broader umbrella term, and machine learning is one of the branches of the AI tree. But in recent years, because of the 
advanced uh, advancement in the field of machine learning, people often use that interchangeably. How do you, and I'm sure we'll dive a little bit more into some of the, the specific branches um, as, we, as we talk about this, but in general, how do you see AI playing out in our industry over the next five to 10 years and, and moving forward? Yeah, so AI is, uh, if, you, if you think about the industry, we have lots of challenges moving forward. Um, or uh, besides just a shortage of labor, we have a shortage of materials and resources. We have growing population uh, that are, you know, in, uh, it's going to grow even more. Um, and we have lots of natural disasters and uh, hurricanes and earthquakes and wildfires here in California. And so we need to build, design and build things in a, in a shorter period of time. The buildings are getting more complex. Um, our productivities are uh, not that good and we need to build things really fast. So, and this is where the AI can be helpful, where we can design and build things in a, in a shorter period of time with less material, because now we can optimize things based on the material usage, based on the availability of resources, and we can build them in a, in a shorter period of time, perhaps in offsite construction, uh, where we have more control over different variables, and we can, again, optimize that for this specific a way of construction based on the kit of parts that's available. So AI is uh, it's not going to solve all of our problems in the future, but is a powerful tool that we need to leverage to solve some of the problems we have. All right. Well, and it reminds me of, you know, there used to be the, um, the saying, you know, um, speed, cost, and quality. Yeah. You, you can only have two of them. Pick, pick the two you want. And I, we just we had a recent guest on the podcast, Sean Mahoney, who does a lot of work um, in the new technology space and in digital twins, and you know says, well, clients today, the marketplace is demanding all three, and technology is the way to deliver all three, and not just say, well, we can only do two of the three. That sounds like that's similar to what you're saying because of not just client demands, but the demands of society that we as practitioners, architects, engineers, and constructors really need to bring game to in order to really be able to serve society. Absolutely. Yeah. And at the end of the day is, um, it's a way for us to make our housing, make these apartments, make our infrastructure more affordable and more equitable for everyone. And we all, you know, responsible for it. Now, there's as far as if I look back over the last 30 years, some of the major changes in, in technology seems to be increasing much more rapidly and more transformationally than it has in the past. But over the last 30 years, I mean, in, in the 90s, there was this move from drawing tables to AutoCAD. And that was sort of a, a move. I mean, eventually everyone got on board, but there was a lot of sort of the change cycle, you know, sort of resisting and denying and that type of thing. How, how do you think, in a broad sense, and we're going to dive into some details, but when you think of AI and its role in our industry moving forward, how do you think that compares or contrasts to our transformation through AutoCAD in the 1990s? Yeah, um, I remember back in the days when um, AutoCAD came and 
And I remember drafting companies that were booming and they were hiring more people and doing more work. And maybe there are just a you know, handful of companies that been looking into, oh, what there's something new came out called CAD and let's give it a shot and let's see what, uh, what's, what it has to offer. And the response that time to the invent of CAD was uh, just be curious about it send one or two people to do some training and come back with their findings. And, and if, you, if you look back, those companies who were more curious and invested a little bit uh, could uh, you know, bring more ROI to their companies. They didn't have to put more body to the work. They uh, just you know, could train more people and they could do things faster with higher quality. Uh, something used to be called blocks that you could reuse from one project to another, or you could modify, uh, you know, bring a section of a, of a design to another project. So um, it got to a, time, to a point where companies who insisted on putting more bodies to the work and didn't want to go uh, and use CAD, uh, it, for them, they got to a point that was too late and they went out of the business. But those companies were forward thinking and uh, they could change even their business model and get more work faster, deliver that faster and do it in a cheaper way. Those were the companies that survived and, and a lot of them uh, you know, exist today. So Similar to CAD, um, AI is here today. It's another technology or maybe another buzzword today. Um, so you can choose to be curious and test it out and give it a shot and learn more about it, or you can choose to just you know, wait and see what happens. And, uh, and you know, I, my recommendation to, to the companies is to start early and start sooner because unlike CAD, uh, where you send one or two people or the adoption of BIM, uh, you send one or two people to get training and come back with the results, the adoption of AI uh, takes a longer time because now it changes your whole processes. Uh, maybe you need to organize or be organized around your data and how you capture that. Uh, maybe you need to rethink about your processes and this is, you've never done that before. In fact, uh, in uh, one of the projects that I featured in the book, uh, Jill's the C CEO of Connexus says, AI, you know, you showed me the impossible now is possible. And I had no idea that we can do this with AI. And for a lot of people, it's hard to see uh, the, the impossible. Uh, especially for me, uh, at least. Um, and, and it's very hard to see that. So you need to be curious. You need to start small and you need to learn and educate yourself and your company about the possibilities that it can bring to your company. And that's the difference. And the, if you can start sooner, uh, you will get the, the value and benefit uh, in, a, in a shorter time and you will have more time to adjust your business model and the strategy moving forward. Right. I, and I, I don't want to, I want to dive into some examples of, of how AI is being used right now, um, used and leveraged in the industry. But one more kind of big picture question as we get into this. I know the other week you were at um, in, uh, ENR Future Tech, the ENR Future Tech Conference. What, if anything, stood out to you about AI or new technology in general at, at that conference that would be good to be able to share with, with leaders now about how 
again, AR, AI and, and new technology will affect us moving forward based on what was talked about at the conference. Yeah, definitely. Well, you know, the, the, the fact is that uh, we have powerful sensors today uh, that are becoming really, really cheap. And by deploying these sensors into construction, you know, operation, and bringing those data back into the design, we can uh, be more effective in, uh, in design and construction and operation of our, our projects. There, uh, at in our future tech, I highly recommend the event to, uh, to other industry leaders. Uh, there, were, there were a lot of talks about digital twins and the role of AI that can play in bridging the gap between the physical asset and, and the digital asset and transferring that knowledge into our future projects. It is as if every single project get better and better over time. And AI is that catalyst that can enable us to take in all the sensor data and use that in an efficient way and creating that knowledge that is transferable to, to the future, not only future project, but also to our future generations to come. So that was one of my takeaways from the conference. And when you think about the conference at all, was it 5% talking about AI? Was it 50% was mostly talking about it? I mean, how prevalent was the, was the discussion of AI in, in, the, in the conference? Well, I'll say uh, it was, I can rarely remember a talk that there was no mention of AI in it. Um, also in the exhibit hall uh, where startups and companies were presenting their work, uh, they were always talking about data and reducing a risk and role of AI in the risk reduction and uh, even reducing the insurance premiums um, as a result of, of, of adopting AI technology. Uh, so I will say this was all over the place, or maybe my ears were just catching all the AIs and data. I don't know. I might be biased. Right. Well, well, good point there. So we're, I mean, we're a singular industry, AEC, but it's got different components, architecture, engineering, construction, you know, vertical infrastructure, horizontal construction, uh, infrastructure, public versus private sector, small firms, small projects, large firms, large projects, different business models, different ownership models. When you think of the industry overall, if we were to segment it, where and and how do you see AI being used or leveraged right now in the industry? Do you see it in specific areas or is it just sort of spread out throughout? Um, right now, uh, well, there are there are some technology companies that are, you know, uh, building um, AI solutions for uh, the specific customers and segments that they they serve and and, and startups. Um, in terms of the construction companies themselves, or you know, architecture, engineering, construction companies themselves, uh, I will say that the buildings, uh, uh, especially high-rise building, are are the ones that um, have more traction. There are lots of research and development going on. In terms of the infrastructure. Um, they're lagging behind a little bit, but uh, still there are lots of great conversation and, and discussion going on. And uh, in terms of, you know, I see that in engineering companies, I see that in architectural companies, and I see that in, in construction companies, and especially the owners. Uh, 
that they are investing in AI initiatives and uh, you know experimenting with it and see to see where are the areas that gives them uh, market differentiation. So um, it's it's going and is you know everybody is not only talking about it but also they're sort of investing and seeing where they can get the value out of it because AI on its own doing AI for the sake of AI doesn't mean anything but investing in AI in areas that gives you market differentiation, that's the goal. Mm. And a- examples are, are huge. I mean, where we're trying to understand and, and see something and how it's applied or some of these newer concepts and maybe the impossible when we're thinking about that. So I, I know in, in the book, you talked about three different levels of AI automation. I was wondering if you could briefly describe those and maybe share some examples whether it be from sort of business at large that we might all know about, um, about how you see those different levels of AI automation in practice. And then maybe a couple of examples of how you see those different levels right now in our industry, just to give context yeah. and picture. Sure. Um, I often start with the um, uh, autonomous car example, because this is something that um, all of us can relate to and all of us can understand. Um, and I often ask people, uh, you know, if you think about the, the level of autonomy, uh, let's say the first level is 100% manual, when you're responsible as a driver to do all the tasks. And the last level, uh, let's, let's call it level three. Um, in reality, there are six levels, but just for simplicity. Um, and this is the level three is the fully autonomous car. And this is where the car takes all the responsibilities and do everything on your behalf. And then there is a level two. There's something somewhere in between a manual work and fully automated work where you and the AI system or the car needs to work together. You're, respons- you're responsible for taking some of the work and the car will be responsible to collaborate with you and do some of the works together. But all in all, you're moving towards the, the, the goal and the direction that you have. And the same could be applied into architecture, engineering, construction, because um, if you, let's say, I'm gonna give you a new job. I want to you, Peter, to design me a bathroom. And as a seasoned architect, you have done that thousand times before. And you, at that point, you're like, oh my God, can just automation comes and take over and this design this bathroom for me? I, I don't want to do, do it another time. Or uh, think about that, I, I give you $10 million for your most creative bathroom designs that you can have because I have this big hotel and I want to use that design. And at that point, maybe you, you, you're thinking about, okay, I don't want any automation. I want to lock myself in in my office uh, or at home, and I want to design the most creative bathroom possible on my own. So I I don't want any automation. So the first one was level three when the AI system takes over, and this one is um, level one, basically, when you do all the manual tasks. But it could be a case somewhere in between that as a designer, you want to maybe place the main elements of the bathroom and you want AI system to give you quick feedback 
on whether the building code is satisfied or not, or some other performance criteria that, that you may have. So this will be level two, where you and AI system are working in collaboration to deliver the work that you want to deliver. So this is the spectrum of autonomy or interaction between you and the, and the AI system. In the construction, as an example for level two, um, you may, I don't know, your supplier is changed and you want to quickly see what's the carbon offset or carbon footprint um, of the project. And based on that, you want to decide uh, whether you need to take the new this supplier or that supplier. So AI can give you quick feedback so that you can make the right decision, but you're responsible for making that decision um, because the role of AI in this case is just as an advisor and gives you some advice, but you're responsible to whether take it or not. Right. What, what about um, level two and three, just to kind of give us context for sometimes it's like, well, is AI even here? I mean, in, in, in just normal life or normal, you know, larger businesses that affect our lives, do you see level two and three? I mean, we mentioned autonomous cars, so that, that's a, approaching three in, in some cases. But can you just share a few more examples of level two and three automation that we might all say, oh, I didn't realize that was artificial intelligence and maybe increase our comfort level that it's happening yeah. and that it's okay. Yeah, absolutely. So a good example of uh, level three automation where AI systems make decision on behalf of the human could be seen in the application of generative design. Uh, for instance. So in, in generative design, let's say you want to uh, design office space and you set certain parameters and requirements and you use an AI algorithm to uh, generate different solutions. You push a button and you come back after one hour and the AI system says, oh, these are five different solutions that I found. So the AI system in this case have done the work on your behalf. And now you have these options and um, oftentimes it's hard to explain why the AI system made these decisions because there are so many decisions that has been made in between you push a button and uh, when the AI system came up with the, with the final solution. So all of the design is done on your behalf. So an example of, so this is level three. An example of level two is uh, one of the, case study that I featured in the book, um, scientists at uh, Perkins and Will uh, wanted to design a high-performing, low-energy you know, or energy-efficient building. And, but for the entire schematic design phase, they had two weeks and they had to make lots of decisions in, in that two weeks. And uh, their design team came to the, the research team and say, hey, we want to decide, let's, let's pick the facade. We want to design the facade of this commercial building. And we have this four corner fixed, but we're thinking about the curvature. What is the curvature that we should take or have to make it a more energy efficient building? So they gave, it, they gave them one or two days to come up with that answer before they move on to the next question they had. So in one day, let's say, they could only design like 40 or 30 different variations of that building because every time 
they come up with a new design, they need to run energy simulation uh, analysis tools. And those tools take time, like 30 to 40 minutes to come up with a solution. So they were, they were blocked by, or their bottleneck was how fast the energy simulation tools can work. And if they could solve that problem, they could quickly uh, turn around and come up with different solutions. So what they did was they created an AI system that can predict the energy uh, simulation of the building. So it can quickly analyze the building and say, okay, with 90% accuracy, this is the energy performance of the building. And that number is okay. That level of accuracy is okay because everything, we are at the very early stage of the design. So this way, they could get the advice or the results from the AI system in a fraction of a second instead of 40 minutes. And they could quickly run various simulation or various tests um, on the design and they could uh, create lots of different alternatives and go back to their uh, design team with an answer. So this is how the level two automation works where again, designers are responsible for making a decision and the AI system is responsible for giving them advice. And this is how they can work together. And how, I mean, on those examples, um, when you think of particularly that level two examples with Perkins and Will, I mean, th that's an advantage. They wanted the speed of being able to make a decision, be informed, to look at more uh, options than maybe they otherwise would have in a certain time frame. To give a sense, like, how long do you think they might have been working on that process um, to be able to today sit back and say, you know, we can evaluate this type of system in this time, this many options in this time frame. Is that multi-year investment, um, decade investment? How would we see coming up to a point of time, coming up to that opportunity? What would what would be the investment? Yeah. So I'll say for this type of application is uh, between one to three months of, of investment in time. Um, and the most critical part is being able to generate hundreds or thousands of building simulations and using that data set as a way to train uh, the AI system. So the bottleneck here again is to being able to maybe use cloud or parallel processing to be able to run many, many, many different simulations for different types of buildings um, in different areas to be able to create a data set that then you can use to train an, an AI system on. And once that is done, they can, you can use it forever. Um, and that's the AI system now, now that is learned and is trained and is learned. Uh, you can use it in many different locations, in different uh, systems. And that's the time, you know, the, the time saving that comes out of it is just huge. Right. And I, I want to dive into me that a, a larger firm in our industry, there's, there's a lot of, when we think of the design side, there's a lot, a lot of smaller firms. And you had mentioned that it's more than sending a couple of people to training to think about AI, that it's, it's more of a process of thinking. Um, I, when we think about if I were a smaller mid-sized firm and, and I was interested in what we were talking about, like, oh, it's being talked of, I, I see the benefit to society, I see the benefit to our work and our workflow system. If 
if I wanted to, to start thinking about AI and, 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 and how it might best apply to our work, what do you think would be our, our best steps? And, and you had mentioned tied to, um, you know, help us have a competitive advantage and maybe tied to our business strategy. What, in that context, what, where would a firm start? Yeah, so this the starting point um, is I, I often recommend that companies look at their balance sheet. And, you know, besides, so the first approach is look at your strategy. Where are you taking your companies to the market three to five years from now? Are you offending? Are you going to a new market and you want to establish yourself there or you want to keep your position in the market and, and improve it the way that it is? And this gives you a general idea of where to look at. If you are going to a new market, perhaps the, you know, the, the, the areas that you can find opportunity is in that new market. Or you have, if you have inefficiencies and you have a huge business problem today, uh, that potentially could be an area that, that you can uh, look into. And I mentioned the balance sheet because uh, recently talking to a, um, a curtain wall uh, design, fabrication, and installation company. And, and one of the, it's a $100 million company um, in revenue each year. One of the challenges they had was that they, uh, they were bleeding $10 million a year just because the general contractor changes um, the installation process. Oh, the age of the slab is not ready, so you need to go and uh, you know build the other side of the building. And they're like, oh my God, we half of our units are being built, but half of our units are have we haven't built that. We need to quickly turn around, and we need to find out what's the delta. And because this is a general contractor, they were just taking in all the um, all the inefficiencies. And um, so this process, if it is managed well, you know, uh, from 10 millions, they could probably save uh, three or four million. But with the help of AI, you can reduce that even down to like three or four million. So it's another three or four uh, million dollars in, in saving. And your cost of investing and building that solution perhaps is you know, quarter million dollar. So if you could invest a quarter million dollar in building a solution that gives you $4 million or $3 million returns that in just only one year, um, that's a huge win. So your balance sheet and the areas that you are bleeding and you're inefficient could be one area that can help you identify where should you, you know, double down and, and look into and uh, where, potentially the, the area of investment is. And is that what that, well, those first, was that like in the book you talked about an offensive strategy, defensive, and then a sustainability strategy. So the, the losing money would be the, your defense, but the going into a new market was, was your offensive strategy. Yes, exactly. So offense means you are trying to go to a new market. Maybe you want to invest in, I don't know, industrial construction. Um, in a new market that you haven't been before. So um, if the industrial construction is a, is a new market you want to go to, or I don't know, data centers. Um, so these, you could potentially use AI in these domains, in these use cases, and uh, that could bring you um, a lot of values uh, down the road when you are ready to go to the market. 
And when, when you're thinking, I mean, that, that's a case, you know, we figured out through the balance sheet that this is a real issue um, and maybe it's complicated, so AI could help. What about in general design? I mean, so there would be a, a strategic element, but are there things that are, when we think of things that are repetitive, tedious, time-consuming, maybe even boring, but, but essential, and, we, and there we look at, well, let's just develop processes and systems for that and maybe some automation. And we do this with the spreadsheets. When you look at applying AI, is that too small of, a, of an ask? I mean, should we be looking at bigger problems or could we look at, is there just in a lot of, fir- in a lot of design firms, there's just some low hanging fruit that AI could, could be advantageous for us if we were to look into it? Yeah. Um, so one example, like speaking of spreadsheets, um, uh, which is one of the most commonly used uh, tool in, in our industry. Uh, one example that came to my mind was um, an, an owner of a of a building. Uh, it was a hotel. Um, wanted to uh, wanted wanted the designer to come up with three different materials for the structure of the building. So the owner wanted to see um, if it has to build it with timber, with steel, or with reinforced concrete. And for each of those, they had three different designs. And it gave the, the designer six months to come up with the, with the solution, the, the winner, which design and which structure is the best. And the, the designer, it took them two months to come up with the design of, of the structure for one layout, and then another month just to send it to the estimating team and come up with the, with the estimation of the, of the design that they, they came up with. So speaking of uh, Excel, that reminded me of, the, of, the, of all the estimating that is being done in, in Excel. And so after three months, they came up with one design, one number. If you go with, let's say, a structural steel for this design, this is how much you cost. But they had eight more designs to go in, in another three months, which was impossible. So what we did was we trained the AI system that could quickly predict the results of the structure and also ca- calculate the, the estimating part to come up with the with the design, not only the design, but also the cost of the building. And in just three or four days, you could, you could basically uh, design and estimate the building. And in a matter of two weeks, you had the answer for all uh, different variations that the owner asked for. So a lot of times, uh, the data that we have in Excel and the data that we have or we've been keeping in uh, spreadsheets, we could use data to, you know, make our uh, processes smarter and better. And with the new data that comes in, it will be just a, you know, added benefit and the system can get better over time. And, and you, and that's a design issue that I think a lot of owners might say, well, what if this, what if this, what if this? And the, the, and the project you work on it through, I mean, nothing changes in the second one, you get a little bit better, but at, at some point you build that flywheel 
and it's AI informed. And I know in the book, and this could be a whole nother podcast, you know, you know, the, the process of AI development, implementation, data use, and there's, there's a lot of rules around data. And, you know, there's a lot of entities that collect data that say it's AI, but, you know, you say, well, don't just collect data you have to know what problem you want to solve because the data has to be in the right format to use it. Could you share a little bit um, about, you know, you mentioned training an AI process and data, but could you just lift the hood a little bit on just some rules of thumb behind um, data and, and why you don't just collect data first, you really have, an, have to have an idea for what that data looks like. And, and what does it look like? Like, in a, you know, training something for AI, training um, data in an AI way. Yeah, yeah. Um, so one of the, the most common misconception that people have is that uh, we need to have data and we need to collect it for two or three years before even we start our AI project. And uh, I also share some examples in the book where teams at Haskell wanted to augment the capabilities of their workers and they had no data. And uh, they were able to create their own data set uh, that helped them to, to create a solution. So uh, the short answer, you don't have to have data at the beginning to start your AI project. Uh, knowing your AI project is like a, is like a recipe. You know, as a... Um, when I often, let's say we have a guest and I go to grocery to just do some grocery shopping, uh, I buy some stuff and come back home. And often when we decide what to make, uh, we realize that, oh my God, I didn't get this one and that one. I need to go back to the grocery and uh, get, get these items. The, your AI project is like that recipe that you, you need to set before you start collecting data. Your data is like a grocery items. You can't just collect them because they go bad, they go stale. Um, you need to have a recipe and then based on the recipe, you need to collect them in the right format. And, and this is super important. Um, so start from your AI project, start from the, at the highest level, start from your business strategy, look at your inefficiencies, look at where the, your profit margin gets hit. And that's your starting point. Then, you know, work with experts to define an AI project that then look into if you need data, how to collect it, what are the formats and uh, how long you should do it and what are different ways to collect it. Uh, sometimes you can generate it, sometimes you can, you know, uh, do it in a very cheap way. So there are many different ways you can do it. And based on uh, what you collected and based on the solution that you want to build, then you can train an AI system that can deliver uh, that value. I often say test the technical feasibility first in the, in the, uh, in the first phase of the project and then um, work on the business viability and see how much it return on investment it has before you scaling it up. And in the end, it's all about augmenting your capabilities and having a return on investment in the areas that make you different in the market. So it, it, and it, it almost seems like when we think about AI, we really have to approach that from a, 
a critical and strategic thinking perspective, whether it be marketplace differentiation or, 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 or business innovation. And so it's not buried in the IT group or certain groups. It really is an executive function, an executive team function to think about how can we use data to augment our processes or to put us in a, in a different place to a, a competitive advantage. And Absolutely. So it, Okay. And so in that sense, it's it's not sending people out for, for BIM or CAD training is a whole different way to look at the business. Um, I, I wanted to kind of in that context, kind of go back a little bit. You talk about in the book, um, different problems, uh, wicked problems, tame problems, and the, how beneficial AI can be for us when, when designed critically and strategically with the right data, but AI alone cannot solve our problems, particularly our complex problems. Can you talk a little bit about the different problems and then some of the considerations that no matter how good AI is, they cannot, they cannot do some things that we can do as humans. And so could you share a little bit about that? Absolutely, yeah. And just a little background about uh, this chapter of the book uh, that I wrote, uh, what a system cannot do. Um, I talked to more than 50 people to, to write this book, and I asked them, what do you want me to include in the book uh, that makes it a, a great read? And the common answer to, to the question, there were lots of great ideas, but one question was, everybody repeated that, and what, that one was, what AI cannot do. Um, there are lots of hype around what AI, you know, it can do this and do that, but what it can't do. And that's, that's what uh, the, the, why I wrote that, this chapter uh, and talk about what AI system cannot do. So if you, you know, at the end of the day, AI, AI solutions try to solve the problem. But for us to understand what they can't do, we need to go a little bit deeper into the problems that we have. And I, uh, you know, categorize the problem into two different uh, groups. One is a wicked problem. And uh, wicked problems are the problems that uh, are changing over time. And it, they're open to interpretation. Uh, for instance, a client uh, comes to you and say, hey, I want you to design uh, this magnificent building. And you try to work with the client. Uh, nothing is set at the beginning. You try to work with the client and uh, basically capture as much or as many requirements as possible. Uh, but a week after, client says, oh, you know, our budget actually changed. So let's reduce that by 10% of this. Uh, you know, COVID happened and let's change this and let's change that. So this is a problem that is changing over time. And, and you need human to really handle this, this type of problems. Um, on the other side, there's a tame problem. Tame problems are the problems that the rules are known at the, at the you know, outset. At the beginning of the, of the uh, project, you know all the rules. And perhaps there is a, a computer way of solving that. An example of that is a chess problem or, or the game of Go. Um, back in the days, uh, and, and the, the, the problem is, uh, we are really good at creating computer systems that work on tame problems. We, you know, human was defeated in the game of chess or in the game of Go. And as human, we try to abstract it and say, oh, 
human got, got defeated in the game of Go. So this is the, the end of the design work or the construction work, because now computers can do whatever that human could do. But what we don't realize is that human got defeated because all of the rules of the games were known and the computers are just faster in calculating many different alternatives and scenarios. And uh, by way of doing that, you know, the humans get defeated, but we should not, you know, generalize that into the wicked problems that we have in architecture, engineering and construction. So computers can solve a small portion of this problem, but we always need human to take control and make decisions when, you know, the, uh, all the circumstances are changing over time. And, and could you, I want to, if you could go a little, you mentioned the Haskell, that, that their tame problem when, when they were looking at developing an AI solution about welding inspection, was that the example of a tame? Could you share a little bit about the tame problem? And then yeah. I, I wanted to ask you about um, some of the aspects of a wicked problem, but was that a Haskell, was that considered a tame yeah. Could you share a little yeah. bit about that? So, um, you know, an example, like, let's go back to the, the problem that um, uh, Perkins and Will had with energy simulation. Uh, we, you know, as a, we know how to calculate the, the energy of a building. There's a mathematical formula that if you follow, you can, you can calculate that. And if you have enough examples, the computer system can learn that. So if these are the inputs, and this is the output. Computer system can learn the function that connects the input to the output. Same as a structural design. You have a set of inputs, the grid, the loadings and everything. And you know, the structural solver based on some mathematical formulas uh, calculate that and creates the output. So if you have enough examples of inputs and outputs, let's say 1000s of them, the computer system can learn What's, what was the function that connected the input to the output? And this is an example of, you know, the, the tame problem when uh, nothing is changing, you know, the mathematical you know, formulas are there and the computer system can, can learn that over time. Okay. And, and the difference would be in a, in a wicked problem when there are those changes and that in some of the specifics on the on the the wicked, like as it relates to human, like an AI cannot respond well with the the, the causation, the counterfactuals, and any constraints. It, it won't yeah. understand that, and so those are opportunities or real examples where we need human intelligence. Could yeah, you share absolutely. A little bit about about that. Again, I'm trying to yeah. dive into some of the fears that people have about you know mm -hmm. what it's going to do to our industry. Whereas it has so much benefit, but but these are things where if we're designers in these situations that require this, we will always be needed. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, um, yeah, as as I mentioned in the book, the AI systems cannot uh, cannot do a few. This is a you know fundamental limits of of all AI systems, and uh, one of them is causation. Um, let's say you have a lot of data sources that um, people are coughing and they get hospitalized and some of them, unfortunately, you know, uh, get, go to ICUs and some of them 
get really sick and after that you know maybe they get better and you have 10 million examples of this and you give that to ai system and say oh, what what is causing this um, the ai system probably can tell that oh there is a virus called coronavirus and because of this you know this is happening because it doesn't have it it doesn't have that visibility and that is not included in your data so the AI system cannot uh, come up with uh, what causes things if that is not uh, represented. Uh, and the, the same for, for constraints. They cannot just come up with their own constraints and with their own you know, point of view of, of doing things. And, and this is another limitations um, of the AI systems. And uh, also counterfactuals, um, the AI system cannot on its you know, own come up with like what if scenarios and uh, come up with solutions for them. So these are, these are some of the fundamental limitations that, that AI systems have. And, uh, and, you know, we always need human to be able to translate, you know, this is another way that we can think about the problems that we have. The wicked problems that we have in, um, in solving AC uh, problems, they are huge. And we always need human to translate these wicked problems into tame problems so that the AI system can solve those problems for us or make that more efficient. So the role of human, and then at the end of the day, when that problem is solved, we need human to interpret that and say, okay, this is solved or not being solved. So human will be always needed. And without human, uh, you know, we can't really solve the, the tough problems that we have in AC. Mm. And will we'll get us into really having to think more critically and strategically about the problems we're solving and really dive into causes and counterfactuals and create constraints or, or, or not you know, open up constraints. So and, and AI, AI would be the tool for getting some complex information fast that, that we, we can rely on. How, um, well, I wanted to just maybe start to, to close. And I, and I mentioned this in one of my many compound questions I threw at you, but just thinking about AI in life. And I know in the book, you talked about, you know, how AI is used to separate spam emails and, 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 and the Roomba is, is AI. I mean, could you share a, a little bit about, you know, cause those, you know, are, are problems that were, were tame, but yet we, we see it in real life. Could you share a little bit about where, we see AI in real life that maybe we don't recognize it? Yeah, definitely. Um, well, I use Google search every day. And uh, I don't know about you, but for me, finding uh, the information that I need out of billions of pages of, uh, of the internet is just impossible. And, uh, you know, uh, uh, Google search um, help, can help me to find that information faster. Um, so I don't need to, um, you know, browse massive amount of uh, information on the internet. Um, instead, I have more time to go through uh, what's in front of me and, and learn more. Um, Netflix is another example. Um, based on your preference, 
it will match that with what you've seen and also the the new movies that that come out and uh, it recommends you some some of the movies that you probably um, are interested and this way uh, you don't need to browse millions of pages uh, of, of Netflix and instead you can spend that time to to watch more uh, to watch the movie that you like so and, and all that's fed through artificial intelligence exactly how this might be a little off topic but how, how does artificial intelligence how's it impacted with social media I mean you, you hear like you know with the algorithms we can get very quickly trapped into echo chambers or not get balanced views or because it's really tied into seeking a certain thing. How, and this is going to maybe tie into bias. When we think about AI systems that, mm -hmm. you know, how do, how do you think about if, if not having bias in systems or not, you know, creating, you know, pushing people down a rap, maybe it's two different questions, but how, how do, I guess yeah. the first question is how does AI factor into social media and then maybe it's a separate uh, how do we think about not having bias in in social media or, or yeah. not having bias in in some of the ai solutions that might be programmed by people who could have a bias right with the data yeah uh, that's a the first question is a little bit tricky because um so if you think about uh, the role of uh, social media um, and uh, the companies, with do all respect, they try to sell you as much advertising as possible. And, uh, and like Netflix that tries to give you a service on the best suited, um, best suited uh, movies, uh, the a social media engine uh, tries to give you as much tailored advertising as possible while keeping you in the in the platform. So they want to entertain you and they want to keep you, but at the same time, uh, so to give you content that keeps you engaged. At the same time, they give you um, more advertising than uh, you think, and uh, that's how they make money. Um, so. In terms of the biases uh, that exist, so, well, just in terms of that, so the the the, the business they're very clear on their business strategy. It just may not be good for us. So they're yes. using AI very effectively for their business strategy. It just may have ramifications for us. So okay, well, so <laughs> the, the, um, I didn't want to get yeah. Right. All right, um, nice summary. Okay, let's move on. And uh, yeah, in terms of the in terms of the biases that exist, um, you know, as human, we are loaded with biases, um, unconscious biases, uh, I will say, and some conscious uh, too. And when we try to create an AI system, we often bring those biases into uh, the AI solution that we built. So um, how to avoid these biases um, and where is it coming from? For example, uh, the way that we collect data, um, the, the way that you even, let's say you have a camera and you want to create an AI system that tracks people on the side. The placement of the camera and the angle of that you choose to, to put that camera, that can create bias in, in, in your system. The location of the camera, if your camera located in certain areas that you know certain people are there, so that's probably you get data uh, from those type of people. So all of 
these things need to be incorporated into the design of an AI system that has less, less biases. So data, and then after that, thinking about the algorithm. What type of algorithm you will choose? What type of responses do you have? Um, the reason these days we are better at forecasting uh, weather compared to 30 years ago is that now we can run many different models of the weather and come up with, with the best one. So if you choose only one model for the weather forecast, you're probably wrong. But if you choose 10 of them or hundreds of them, uh, you can come up with a solution that is more accurate. The same goes to, to an AI system. If you only choose one algorithm to run, uh, you probably get something that may not be that good. But if you choose to work with different types of algorithm and combine them together and create different models, then you'll be able to create a better, better outcome. And one way to do that is just create a more diverse team with different backgrounds and point of views to, to help you uh, collect the data uh, with less biases and also create a solution that uh, that is less biased. Mm. And so one last question I, I want to, um, we can we can close, but as when you're assembling, if, if there was, a firm or an organization that wanted to think about AI and 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 brought you, you know, wanted to say bring you in or or or, or folks that you know could really kind of say, okay, he, he assess AI and help sort of determine what a good AI project. What does that process look like? Or what would you say? Okay, if we're going to talk AI and go through a workshop, could you describe what that process looks like? Yeah, so uh, the, the first step is just um, forming the AI uh, strategy team, a team that is responsible for defining a AI strategy uh, for the company. And that is uh, typically the, the highest level in the organization. Uh, it could be you know, for maybe a smaller companies, the CEO, CTO, CIO um, of the company. And for larger company could be the vice president of, of a division. And, uh, in, in, and we try to bring in, uh, in this team as uh, many diverse voices and ideas as, as possible. And uh, so this is, the, this is a team that look into different you know, sectors of the business and say, you know, we need to work on this part or we need to find opportunities in that part of the business. And after forming that team, we typically do a one-day workshop where we dive into some of the opportunities that exist um, in, in different sectors of the business. And then we create a, for each opportunity that we find, we brainstorm a lot of different opportunities, but for each opportunity that we find, we identify how important that opportunity is relatively to the, to the business and how difficult that opportunity is to implement. So we are looking for very important opportunities uh, with the highest return on investment, which typically uh, translates to uh, those are the opportunities that are less difficult, but are, are very important and we call them low hanging fruits. Um, for for the company like Haskell that uh, we talked about before, for them 
they are responsible for uh, creating manufacturing facilities for food and beverage industry. And in these facilities, they have miles and miles of pipings that carries our foods and yogurt and wine. And for them, it's super critical. It's very important to, for welders to come up with the clean welding that connects these uh, stainless steel pipings together. And they have hundreds of these facilities uh, in the US and beyond, but they only have two certified welders. And it's impossible for these two welders to be in every single facility inspecting every single welds that, that has been done. So what they did was how they thought about how we can augment their capabilities. And, and to do that, they create an AI solution that now when a welder is finishing a, a weld, they can just snap a photo. And this virtual AI inspector can tell the welder that, oh, it was a great weld or it wasn't a, a, you know, a good weld. And all the inspectors now in the convenience of their homes or you know, at the office, they receive all of these weldings and AI suggestions. And they say, oh, AI was right here or no, maybe it wasn't right here. And this is how they put in their knowledge into the AI system and the AI system gets better over time. Also how by inspecting now so many buildings, this is how they can get better even after 40 years of you know, inspection and experience in the industry. And this is the win-win for everybody because now every welding is being inspected and documented for the future. And this AI system gets better and better and will stay in the company even after these great welders are retired. And this is how they can augment their capabilities and bring more value to, to the industry. I appreciate that. And it, and it comes down to when we think about AI, it's solving real business problems or creating real business advantages, but at scale where we can really capitalize on, on, on speed, quality and cost. And, and that's the investment to be able to do that. Well, I mean, we've covered a lot of ground. I think we've closed every loop that we started <laughs> as we've walked through this. But I, I mean, I think the um, the book is great. Um, and but you know, as, as we close here, is there anything else that um, you'd like to share or add to encourage leaders to maybe increase their knowledge of or, or comfort level with new new technology in general or, or AI in particular that we maybe didn't talk about or cover? Yeah, and um, I, I just want to say that um, it's you know for for those business leaders that are skeptical or uh, they, when they think about AI, you know, you know, nothing comes to mind is everything is fuzzy. Um, I will say that, um, you know, be, be curious, uh, try to, uh, you know, in my website, uh, there are two chapters of the book uh, that they're free and you can just, uh, or, you know, I price the book to make it the most affordable book in the, in the industry with 99 cents for, for the Kindle version. Just, you know, um, start learning more about AI and start helping others to learn more about AI and take some action today. Uh, try to, you know, download uh, credible sources, try to, to read them. And if you are, you know, afraid of AI or if you're afraid of have some uh, suspicions, that's completely normal. 
And we often have that when the new technology comes in or when we fear um, that we don't have control over that. And you know, my research shows that that has been forever. When the computer came in, people had that fear when trains were invented, when the car were invented. And, uh, and just that's absolutely normal. But the, the cost of not learning about AI is that you won't be able to educate technology builders and people who are coming up with AI solutions about the problems that you have and about the industry. And you won't be able to ask the right questions so that you so that they can they won't be able to make the right technology for our industry so if you learn about ai you can guide them you can learn their language and you can help them to create solutions that going back to what we started that makes buildings more affordable makes infrastructure more equitable and makes the planet better for all of us so, I mean, and you brought up a, a, an interesting point there, too, that we can kind of create a, our own AI systems to solve our problems all way, our way, sort of capture our rules of thumb in a very scalable way as a business advantage. We can solve problems that we think will help society. But then it seems like there's this also this we can influence where the technology is going, maybe by partnering with startups to say, listen, you, you might not understand here's what we need from you. And, and we have that, we don't have to do it on our own. There certainly could be a business advantage too, but we could also partner with others and actually help, help them help us. Absolutely, absolutely. Yes, there are a lot of people that are outside of the industry. There are a lot of uh, people who are coming from the AI background, but they don't know much about the industry. And we have many, many people in the industry who don't know about AI. And every day we need to get closer. Um, so people inside the industry to learn the language of AI and people from outside the industry to learn our problems. And if we can make that happen, it's a win-win for everyone. And, and I know from going to recent conferences, some of the, the larger firms as far as mergers and acquisitions are investing in tech, buying into tech, productizing services. I mean, so this stuff is happening already it's just a matter of what what parts will we um, want to take advantage of from, from an operational perspective and from a market sector penetration perspective well i mean this has been great i really appreciate it um, there's a lot we can cover i appreciate the book i appreciate that you wrote it and shared it and, and shared on this podcast um, as as we do close here how can listeners get in touch with you to learn more about you your book and and um Yegatech? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, they can come to my website, uh, metinur.com, M-E-H-D-I-N-O-U-R.com. And uh, there are lots of resources there. There's a link to the company, link to the book. And also for your listeners, um, uh, you know, there's a free section on the website that I have the, the free workbook of the book and also free chapters of the book. And for the 10 listeners to go there and download some of these uh, free stuff uh, and put in the, where did you hear about us? The AC Leadership Today podcast uh, to uh, 10 listeners, I will send a signed copy of the book as uh, just thanking you for, for listening and helping uh, the industry to move forward. All right. Well, I appreciate it. I appreciate um 
all that you're doing to advance the industry and that you're, you're an industry insider really looking at this. And so um, I want to thank you and I look forward to talking with you next time. Oh, thank you. Thanks for having me. And uh, it's been a great conversation. All right. Take care. Well, that's a wrap. If you like what you've heard, please subscribe to and rate this podcast on iTunes or whatever platform you listen to the show from. There are links on my website and in the show notes to do so. And please also share this podcast with your friends and colleagues. It really helps to continue to get us established, and I truly appreciate that. And it also helps to get the word out to others so that together we can collectively grow and positively impact the lives of others, both inside and beyond our organizations. Thanks for joining us on today's episode of AEC Leadership Today. If you want to stay relevant and effective and take your growth and prosperity to new levels, it's time to take action. To learn more about how Pete can help take you and your firm to the next level, visit www.actionsprove.com. That's www.actionsprove.com. See you next time on the AEC Leadership Today podcast.